1: Today's episode of SFF Yeah! is sponsored by Harper Audio and Realm Breaker by Victoria Aveyard, read by Natalie Naudis. Realm Breaker is the instant number one New York Times bestseller by Victoria Aveyard, available now. Irresistibly action packed and full of lethal surprises, this stunning new fantasy series from the author of Red Queen begins where hope is lost and asks, When the heroes have fallen, who will take up the sword? Download Realm Breaker today on Audible, Apple, or wherever you get your audiobooks. Welcome to SFF Yeah! A podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 109, and we're recording on July 22nd. I'm Sharifa Williams, and I'm here with my guest host, Vanessa Diaz, And we're coming to you from Book Riot, and today we are putting together an SFF summer reading list because it's summer. Welcome to the show again, Vanessa. Hey, I'm back. A minute, I guess.
0: Yeah, I have no concept of time. Um, I just know that it was like (laughs) at least a few months ago, but it felt like a couple weeks, and it hasn't been. So it's fun. I always like to come on and guest host this one.
1: Well, that's why we're talking about summer reading, so we can remind ourselves what the season is for crying out
0: (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) I just realized summer's, like, almost over. So, yeah, this is, like, I mean, it's not, but it is, like, that's what it feels like to me. Maybe it's just because of everything, I don't know, I I have planned, and so this is a good reminder to maybe do some summer reading now.
1: (laughs) I got uh, chastised for saying summer is almost over uh, by my partner, because... (laughs) he was like, it's July. There's still August. Don't take away summer just yet, please. And I was like, okay.
0: (laughs) You know what is not helping it is that I know a lot of people with children and the kids are literally going back right now. Like today is their first week. And I think it's a combination of like year round scheduling and other things. But I don't know between that and the fact that I just know what the yeah there is a whole month and a half left it just doesn't feel that way because most of that is like very jam-packed for me like I know you have a lot of travel planned I have some things planned like I don't know so sorry to rain on people's parade don't come for me (laughs) I totally get it
1: well we're gonna keep summer around with our reading list but before we get into that why don't you tell us about our first sponsor
0: sounds good this episode of SFF yeah is sponsored by Yen Audio, an imprint of Yen Press, and their first digital audiobook release, Solo Leveling Volume 1. E rank hunter Jin Sung has no money, no talent, and no prospects to speak of, and apparently no luck either. When he enters a hidden double dungeon one fateful day, he's abandoned by his party and left to die at the hands of some of the most horrific monsters he's ever encountered. But just before that last fatal blow, ping! Congratulations on becoming a player. So for those of you who are in the know about solo leveling, that last ping will have made sense to you. (laughs) But solo leveling actually started off as a hit Korean web novel series that inspired a really equally popular web comic. It's the first audiobook from Yen Audio, which is the new imprint of Yen Press in collaboration with Hachette Audio. And the Solo Leveling Volume 1 audiobook is narrated by King Hong Lee, an actor known for his roles in stuff like Maze Runner and The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Thanks so much to them for sponsoring.
1: Ping! <laughs> Vanessa warned me that she would be saying that so I wouldn't think something was wrong with her. Life,
0: I just want everybody to know that. <laughs> As they should. <laughs> Don't turn off your podcast recorder or your uh, podcatcher. It is part, yes. And that does make sense if you look it up. So
1: <laughs> I Totally, I I believe you. <laughs> Uh, well, we're keeping the news segment today short because we're actually talking about four books each today because we just want to cram your summer TBR with a bunch of books we want to recommend. Uh, but to top it off, we have a couple of fantasy awards updates. So first of all, we've got the 2021 World Fantasy Awards finalists. I couldn't remember if I'd talked about this or Jen and I had talked about this before, but um, the finalists have been announced and it's very exciting. So in Best Novel, we have... Piranesi by Susanna Clark, Trouble the Saints by Don Johnson, who I have been meaning to read that, The Only Good Indian, Stephen Graham Jones, Mexican Gothic by Silvia Moreno Garcia, and The Midnight Bargain by C.L. Polk. And that is like a stacked list. Like, that is my TBR. Were like, yeah.
0: That is my TBR. These- like, not joking, except I've read one. Really? two. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm sorry. I have read two of them, but literally I was reading them like, oh, these are literally my TBR. That's cool. <laughs> like, really cool.
1: I remember these titles all over the place. Um, and so I'm not surprised to see them here, but I am, I truly have no idea who's going to win this one. I'm, you know, I've read Mexican Gothic and loved that book so much. So I'm a little bit biased, but I've heard great things about all of these books
0: and can't wait to see who gets the win. Yeah, especially because, so I anybody who knows me, I'm like an evangelist for Mexican Gothic. Sorry about the mushrooms. Um, but <laughs> the thing that's interesting about that book in particular is that Celia Moreno-Garcia has been kind of against it being classified as anything but Gothic horror.
1: Yeah. <laughs> has
0: been pretty vocal about it. And the more I read it, it I, I mean, yeah, I think it does solidly fall. And this, that's something that is SFF related. But I'm just curious to see how she... I mean, I, I would imagine that most authors are like, please nominate me for the things. But it's just a it was a very particular like talking point for her. And I, I wonder if that is an issue at all. Or she's like, yep, yeah, just give me the award. I wrote i wrote a really great book.
1: Yeah, I totally understand uh, why she wants to make that delineation. I think that there is a, you know, SFF is so unusual in its genre blending capacity. Yep. Scope. So I guess two things can be true. It can be both. So, but we'll see. I am really excited to see it on the list anyway. Mm -hmm. And then we also have best novella with a couple of my favorites, including Ring Shout by P. Jelly Clark, as well as Riot Baby by Tochi Onyebuchi. And we've also got *Fly Away* by Kathleen Jennings and *The Four Profound Weaves* by R.B. Lemberg. Truth be told, I don't know the other two books. No, so, me neither. Yeah, it's it's cool to see another publisher on there that isn't Tor, even though I am obsessed with all of the Tor novellas. But you know, variety is the spice of life.
0: I mean, three of them are Tor, <laughs> so yeah. Mm-hmm. The fact that there is one not because they're just so good at the novella thing. But yeah, I wasn't. I'm not at all familiar with those other two. But we'll see.
1: Um, And then there's Best Short Fiction and Best Anthology. I absolutely recommend everybody looking at this list. Um, There's a lot more to go through here. And then we'll see who gets the win. And I'm sure we'll bring it up again and update everybody here. But congratulations to all of the finalists. And then in more award news, we've got the 2020 Kitchies winners. And this is a particular favorite uh, between both Jen and I and lots of SFF people because mm-hmm. they're so different. Um, so this is... The, the kitchies are awarded for the year's most progressive, intelligent, and entertaining fiction that contain elements of the speculative or fantastic. That's how the kitchies are described. So... And then they also have just excellent names for the awards. So good. (laughs) Tentacles specifically. So the red tentacle is associated with novels. That's that category. And another repeat, uh so the winner of the red tentacle is Piranesi by Susanna Clark, which is a book I kept wanting to read but i think i felt like i was worried that it would be very long and have lots of footnotes because of uh susanna clark's Mm -hmm. first books
0: (laughs) (laughs) uh yes jonathan strange
1: (laughs) yeah that sort of like i think that was weirdly i'm sure i made all sorts of assumptions but it was one of those books i kept seeing around uh so congratulations to susanna clark Mm. Um, And then The Golden Tentacle went to the uh, debut novel, and I was super, super excited to see The Space Between Worlds by Micaiah Johnson as the winner. That was such a favorite among, I think, a lot of rioters. A
0: lot. I tried to read it in three days, like maybe for this, and that just was not going to happen, but I tried. (laughs) Because everybody said good good, good things about it.
1: Yeah, it was... It was so good. Like, I could not stop. I was listening to the audiobook and I just could not stop listening Mm -hmm. uh, because the characters were so fantastic and the story was so interesting. And unique. I just love that book uh, to pieces. So congratulations to Micaiah Johnson. And then uh, the last award is the Inky Tentacle, (laughs) which we don't always talk about, which is for cover art. Uh, And the winner is a book I have not read. It's The Arrest by Jonathan Lethem, designed by Alison Saltzman and illustrated by Dexter Moore. And that's from Atlantic Books. So many, many congratulations as well. I love to see people that I really appreciate win some awards. So congratulations.
0: And just as a side note, go look up the rest of this list because it too is just stacked upon stacked. It's a really phenomenal list of books that are all almost all in my TBR.
1: Yes, yes. Like The City We Became by Mm N.K. Jemisin which I really have to make some time to read. Uh, Gin
0: Patrol and (laughs) the Purple Line. Like that Sharks in the Time of Savior. Like, again, these two award lists are just like, yes, I know. Stop trolling me. (laughs) I will read them.
1: Yes. Very, very chef's kiss here. Yes. Um, And the last bit of news that is super exciting is adaptation news. And this is kindred adaptation news kindred of course being by Octavia Butler um, and we have some news about who is starring in this FX pilot um, newcomer Mallory Johnson this comes to us from deadline reported on by Denise petsky and it's announcing that it's Janixa Bravo is going to direct and Mallory Johnson is going to star in the pilot. And I'm really excited about this. I am also like, I. it's one of those adaptations I'm going to have to take a deep breath before <laughs> watching. I don't know Absolutely. about everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> but it sounds really exciting. And um, again, it's going to be... From FX Productions, and the production is actually scheduled to begin in September. So it's not like coming to us right away. Unfortunately, it feels like every time we talk about adaptation news, it's like maybe next year we'll see it, maybe two years from now. But I mean, it's nice to have the anticipation continuing on with the little bits of news we get from. The world of film and adaptation. So, I really love the story of Kindred. It is really, it's like uh, an interesting sort of time travel book mm-hmm. that takes a young black woman married to a white man, um, takes her back in time to a plantation where there are enslaved people, and it it becomes this really fraught terrifying survival time travel story where she is very unhappily pulled back and forth in time to Mm -hmm. this 19th century plantation and she finds out about some family links and some history from her own family's past and it all becomes embroiled in this terrifying plot truly so I'm really excited to see what they do with this story. Um, I'm always excited for Octavia Butler to get more, you know, notoriety as a really influential, prolific and excellent writer of SFF. So very happy to hear about this. Super excited to see this cast, whoever the next ones that are announced Mm -hmm. are. And I don't know, are you, have you actually, have you read it yet, uh, Kindred?
0: I have been meeting to, uh, meaning to read this book for a very long time. And I am a bit of a weenie for like certain very specific triggers and her work yeah. is rife with them. Um, yeah. But it's like, I can't not because she is so important and prolific that I earlier, like maybe a month ago, put Kindred on like my Libby list officially and was waiting for it to come in. So it should come in soon. I think I'm too. going to have to just take some deep breaths. but. It's it's time. Like it took me forever to read Toni Morrison for some of those same reasons and I oh yeah. was like I mean, and obviously her books too contain a lot of those types of triggers, but were so fundamental and kind of life-changing that I'm like, "No, I need to finally I I can be a big girl and do this." But I'm especially excited because that direction like Janixa I think is it's going to be really interesting to see what she does with this after just having done Zola. Oh, yeah. And I think she also directed Dear White People, which is a series that I really liked on Netflix. She's done a whole bunch of stuff, to be fair. But Yeah, that um, was
1: hugely popular. Yep.
0: So this is going to be interesting. It's like kind of a departure, very, a very different type of film project, but definitely has the success of Zola right now and the buzz to parlay that into. I hope, I hope a lot of people pay attention to it, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Me too. Me too.
1: This episode is sponsored by the audiobook edition of Axiom's End by Lindsay Ellis. This alternate history first contact adventure is an extraordinary debut from Hugo finalist and video essayist Lindsay Ellis. A well-timed leak has revealed that the US government might have engaged in first contact. Cora Sabino is doing everything she can to avoid the whole mess since the force driving the controversy is her whistleblower father. She wants nothing to do with him until she learns just how deeply entrenched her family is in the cover up and that an extraterrestrial presence has been on Earth for decades. The audiobook of Axiom's End is read by Stephanie Willis and Abigail Thorne. Hank Green called it wonderfully plotted and paced. The adventure never lets up and neither does the insight. By the audiobook edition of Axiom's End by Lindsay Ellis Now, wherever audiobooks are sold. All right, let's talk about some summer reads. And so I just wanted to let everybody know, first of all, that we kind of left this idea of a summer reading list open for interpretation, because summer reading means so many different things to so many different people. And I don't know, like looking at your list right now, (laughs) <laughs> Which we'll get into. I, I can kind of guess the answer to my question of like, what was the direction you took when you were thinking about summer reading lists? Were you thinking about like school summer reading lists and that sort of nostalgic feeling of summer reading or was it something else?
0: So when you like when you say the phrase summer reading, anybody says it, I absolutely am taken to that place of like, yeah. OK, what's was the summer, especially because it was the time when... It was like, freedom! I get to read whatever I want after, you know, a year for the most part of like... Re- at least like in my school structure, for the most part, for both my, you know, Catholic school days to a degree. <laughs> um, And also <laughs> in high school, it, we were kind of allowed just... I mean, I, th- I think there may have been like a supplemental reading list that we kind of had to choose from, but it was pretty wide. And so it was the time to kind of get to flex that muscle of like, I don't want to read just the kinds of stuff that's been assigned to me. Mm. And then in my adult life even though, you know, we no longer get (laughs) R.I.P. like a true summer (laughs) where we're just like sitting around, my reading still shifts. And I don't really have a good reason for that other than it just like feels like it should. I try to spend a lot more time outside reading, Mm -hmm. you know, in a public, like in a park or a beach or what have you. And then my real only theme there becomes like, what have I been desperately wanting to read? And there Ah. is zero, and I mean zero uh, theme other than it's not usually it's very usually very plotty like I don't generally go to very like lyrical literary fiction kind of thing I'm going for like what's gonna like be juicy and keep me turning the pages and that means something very different from genre to genre but as you will see (laughs) from my picks yeah it tends to be pretty plot forward and something that I've just been like relishing wanting to read but maybe haven't been able to work into my like work reading for whatever yeah
1: I'm totally on board with that. And I think we had the same sort of feeling because I definitely went for like with summer reading. I remember summer reading in my high school years as being pretty rigid. Uh, We would always get this black and white photocopy of like the books (laughs) we could read. And they were always like very dusty musty sorts mm. of books and you know there's value in reading some of those but i i wanted to spend my summer just like at the library choosing random stuff off the shelves and yeah. i did because you know like i admittedly crammed in my assigned reading and read whatever i wanted and relished
0: it, so... (laughs) Good, that's good, that's great.
1: So, yeah, I was definitely in the mood of, like, reclaiming that summer reading freedom, (laughs) and I also go to a place of, like, for me, I I think of, like, blockbuster films almost, but, like, book form, very popcorn book situations, very fun, bonkers, out-there storylines, and... Just like taking me out of mundanity, I guess, is what I think of for summer reading. Uh, Yeah, so let's get started talking about it. And I guess I'll kick us off with a fantasy pick. And this one kind of encapsulates my idea of summer reading. And it's Nothing to See Here by Kevin Wilson, which I hilariously recommended to my doctor just the other day
0: (laughs) (laughs) definitely unmuting myself for that laugh (laughs) because your doctor's my doctor
1: (laughs) i know i know i i don't know what i can't remember what she was asking for specifically (laughs) but it was top of mind and i was like you're gonna love this book it's so weird it's like this hilarious really heartfelt light fantasy book it has fabulism And it does give me that mood of, like, you're taking this weird vacation from humdrum reality, from, like, daily life, even though it has a lot of, like, just regular life aspects about it. So the story follows Lillian, who who was kind of wronged in her younger years. And now she's an adult woman. She lives in her same hometown Uh, She's downtrodden. She has a not-so-great family life. And she's really dissatisfied with where she is and feeling a sort of way about her past and how she got to where she is. And then she gets this call from an old friend named Madison. And Madison offers her this proposition. And Madison and Lillian actually met at this very prestigious school that uh, uh, Lillian got shepherded into and Madison comes back to her asking her to live on this grand Tennessee estate and basically be a caretaker for her stepkids. And unlike Lillian, Madison was is the sort of person who seems to have been born to attend things like prestigious schools and to live on grand Tennessee estates. So she was basically born into privilege. She's con- conventionally attractive. And she ended up with this uh, powerful man who is the father to these children in question. And so Lillian is really not sure what to make of this proposition. She hasn't actually seen Madison in a really long time, and she knows only so much about her life. She knows nothing about these kids. But, of course, like, it's better than sticking around. So off she goes to this estate. And then what follows is a story of Lillian meeting these kids, learning more about Madison's life, and then finding the cracks in the facade. And this is just a really great story featuring a uh, fractured friendship and these weird power dynamics, and also some really off kilter characters. And the story presents these these kind of big problems and questions in a kind of quaint domestic package. I just thought it was so hard to put down and really gets you in the feels. And if we're talking about things like beach reads, I would say this is absolutely my kind of beach read. It has uh, this sort of, you know, the. It has babysitting vibes, which is a weird thing to say about summer. But if we're harkening back to like high school summer, I never did babysitting, but I watched a lot of shows about babysitting. So I'm obviously an expert and it gives me those vibes. Um, and it has this really satisfying ending, which I crave with reading when it's the summertime and I want to just be happy and enjoy myself and have a sense of satisfaction in all things while I'm day drinking or whatever. So I just love this book and think it's a perfect summer read. Again, that was Nothing to See Here by Kevin Wilson.
0: Uh, that book is really good on audio if you're an audiobook person. it's I didn't realize until very recently that it's narrated by Marin Ireland. So if you've watched, oh yeah, I mean, she's in a bunch of things, but most recently I really loved her in Umbrella Academy. Um, but she does a really great job. And I'm getting a lot of very funny feelings about you saying to our doctor, like, may I interest you in a book about kids on fire? And
1: it's a perfect summer read. She's like a family planning doctor too sometimes, so I was like, I did not think about
0: that. It's really, and it's not a spoiler, like it's on the freaking cover, but it's pretty funny. It's such a good book. I recommend that too.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) Uh, I'm going to take us in a different direction (laughs) with my first pick, which is Gods of Jade and Shadow by Silvia Moreno-Garcia. I... Oh, like my whole I'm a big mythology, folklore reader nerd and I spent most of my life as many of us did reading stuff that was rooted in a very different, you know, it's like Greek and Roman mythology for the most part. So, little by little when stuff has, you know, been coming out that is centered in very different cultures, especially my own, I get very, very happy. So this is a book that takes place in the jazz age, but in Mexico, which is, again, not a thing that I definitely grew up seeing a hell of a lot of. So I was super into this concept. And we meet a young woman named Cassiopeia who is not happy with her life. Her and her mother, due to, I believe, the passing away of her father. It's been a bit since I read it, but are living in her grandfather's house where they're treated like lower class citizens. Like her grandfather is a very wealthy man. It's a giant house. has other of his children living there with him, and then their children. But he essentially makes Cassiopeia and her mom like clean the floors and do the domestic work, and again just treats them like they're not worth his time. So she's kind of dreaming of a life far from this, you know, dusty tiny town in southern Mexico, and and hoping that she can maybe make that happen for herself someday. But one day her cousin, who is super annoying and aggravating, kind of is just poking her and like instigating her into being upset and like says something to her that sets her off. And she straight just slaps him, if I recall this part correctly, and is like, get out of my face, you're <laughs> annoying. And he goes running off to granddaddy to be like, I'm a big one. And so at least that's how I imagine it going. <laughs> and um, so essentially she gets like in trouble for this. And they were all as a family supposed to go to this trip to, I think, another city, that she was kind of looking forward to just to break up the monotony of her life. And she's no longer allowed to go and has to stay behind and clean. So she's obviously upset by this goes about cleaning her grandfather's room. Like she's supposed to, there is this giant wooden box at the uh, base of his bed that she's always seen. It's always been there. It's always locked, but by some stroke of, you know, luck or what have you, the key that he always keeps super guarded to himself, like around his neck, has, I believe, just, like, been left behind. And when she sees it, she's like, well, I'm gonna open this box. <laughs> like, of course I'm gonna <laughs> open this box. So she opens the box, and as it sometimes happens, the spirit of the Mayan god of death emerges, and is like, hey. Of course. And he, like, reconstitutes, like, at first it's just, um, like, skeleton, and then, like, the sinews and the muscle all, like, reconstruct before her eyes. It's very, like, vivid description, and then he's like, hey, this is who I be, like, and now you're gonna come with me. And she's like, uh, okay. Um, so she basically doesn't really have a choice other than to follow him. But also, again, this seems like a better option than what she's currently got in front of her. And that's where the story kicks off of him trying to go find the, basically like, Mayan God of life is the easiest way to describe it. If you're not familiar with this whole mythology, but to, to basically go like do undo a harm that was done to him. And he's going to have Cassiopeia help him along the way. And we just take this jaunt all across jazz age, Mexico from like the jungles in the Yucatan to, you know, Mexico City and it just deep dives pretty deep into that whole, like, oh, just like story that I want to dive into and learn more about from the Mayan underworld and like really just, again, the folklore from, from the country that I'm from, that my parents are from. It's so much fun. Again, like, I just don't remember up until this point having read a Jazz Age set book at the time. There's now been several, thankfully, that were set in not the, like, Gatsby-esque kind of setting that most of the literature I had at the time it reads it's just so juicy because you know she's trying to figure herself out she's following this god on what's like a really like fun and like kind of fraught journey there's like a little element of romance in there that was really great to read about too this just like screamed summer reading to me it's like the perfect and yes with a satisfying ending which i absolutely crave as well so her i've always said i feel like silvia moreno garcia has a like a wheel and she just throws a dart at it to decide what genre she's going to (laughs) write in next because she literally jumps like all over the place. I can't wait to see what else she does, but I'm I'm really satisfied with her fantasy writing so far. So yeah, that's Gods of Jade and Shadow by Silvia Moreno-Garcia.
1: I just read The Chosen and The Beautiful uh, by Nivo and I'm very much in that jazz age sort of mentality. So I feel like I finally have to put that one. Oh, it's so good. I love everything she writes, so I'm sure I will absolutely love that. Uh, Well, I'm going to jump over to my science fiction pick, and I couldn't resist choosing The Prey of Gods by Nikki Drayden because I just want to keep things Uh, a little banana pants, a little bonkers over here. And also to give us that sort of blockbuster vibe I'm always looking for, because in this story, there are antics, there is action, there's a big ensemble cast that I love. There's this plot that just keeps ratcheting up to this epic conclusion. So in The Prey of Gods, uh, the story follows a bunch of characters on separate but eventually intersecting paths as this new psychedelic designer drug comes onto the market in this near future South Africa. So um, there's lots of super developed personal AI technology in this version of near future South Africa. And we've got a few characters. We've got Muzi, who's a teen who's just trying to figure himself out, uh, definitely in spite of who his traditional African family thinks he should be. And then there's also Namvula, who's a very young Zulu girl cast out from her village. She's struggling with this massive secret about her identity. And then there's Ria, who's a pop star and a cultural icon. A lot of pop stars were brought to mind when I read about Rhea, but I'm going to leave that up to your imagination when you read about her. I'm so curious about who actually inspired this character. So Rhea is this, this star who's topping the charts and serving a lot of diva realness. And then there's also Stoker, who's a councilman who has this unexpected moonlighting gig and also dreams of stardom outside of politics. And finally, there's Sydney, who's this super masochistic demigod, and also a nail technician. And, of course, there are personal bots as well. They are an integral part of this story. So this story I would describe as being one part brewing war involving these demigods, one part about this psychedelic designer drug, which is called Godsend, and then also one part AI uprising, and there's also this queer storyline, there are power hungry people, there are genetically modified animals, and very importantly, there are these cute I think they're described as like antelope-like dick-dicks, where they're they're like these sort of dog sized animals and they're just wreaking havoc and pooping all over town. <laughs> I just love everything, like even the details are so hilarious, but there also is social commentary made here, there are some really serious moments as well, and I will say that there is a trigger warning for child harm in this book, so do note that. But the book also has one of my all-time favorite villains. I think I actually... Either I or Jen talked about uh, this character in an episode about villains. And that is Sydney, who is just horrendous. Just the worst. (laughs) And enjoys being the worst. Revels in it. Uh, And I would just say... This book also just has one of the best all-around cast of fully realized characters. And the story takes you in a million different directions, but it does culminate in this super satisfying way. And it's also a standalone, which I think is fantastic for summer when you just want to, like, get it done. And I just love it. I'm sure you all know that already because I've talked about this book before. But yeah, so the, again, that was The Prey of Gods by Nikki Drayden. Such a great one. Oh,
0: I've been meaning to read that forever.
1: Oh, uh, I'll let you. I will totally lend you my book.
0: Oh, yeah. I do that all the time. And then I like don't give them back because I see you all the time. <laughs> well, actually, I, I do know. sometimes. <laughs> I'm when, like, you, when you, you come over what? from I'm brunch, there's 50. like a book waiting for you on like the entree uh, thing. <laughs> 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 like, here's the book I borrowed last year. <laughs>
1: We'll return it one day when we're all sitting on the lanai with our stacks of Absolutely. books that we've borrowed from each other. <laughs> it's cool.
0: Well, I have a, a neck Well, I, I could go either way with my next pick because both of them have connections to yours between, like, designer drugs and, like, random little animals wreaking havoc. So what wonderful um, themes. Oh, so strange. <laughs> Just, you know, nothing says summer like that. <laughs> <laughs> drugs and annoying pets uh <laughs> this took a turn um so i'm gonna go ahead and kick us with my first one which is chilling effect by valerie This i know yeah. i've talked about this one i know sh- definitely jen has talked about this one you may have too but um, yeah the notes i always I have that. for this book are cubans and cats in space <laughs> because that's <laughs> what this is uh so yeah it's a really fun and rompy space opera. Captain Eva Innocente is of Cuban descent, and she's the crew of this ship called La Sirena Negra, which cruises the galaxy. And she and her crew kind of make their living, if you will, delivering small cargo from like place to place, not making much money at it. The ship is full of psychic cats, <laughs> and the <Yeah>. way she—I <laughs> love it—the way she got them is that this like, shady customer just ditched her with them and so now there's a bunch of you know space got in her life and no payment <laughs> so it's, yeah excellent situation she's got um but basically the story kicks off when her sister Mari is kidnapped by this shady shade syndicate called the fridge like of course it is and it holds people in cryostasis so she needs to get her sister and like get her back you know asap she agrees to go on to basically complete this really unpleasant and dangerous mission, or a series of them actually, for the fridge to pay the ransom, in order like to, to get the ransom to pay the fridge to get her sister back. It involves like cannibal planets and aliens with mind control, kidnapping, all all the fun stuff. So she's you know her sister's in trouble. She needs to get this mission done. She's kind of lying to her crew about the reasons for all these missions. And the emperor that she rejected at one point in her life, like wants her dead, she might be catching feelings for the engineer of the ship. It's like how much stuff can you pack in one book? So it's all of this. It's heisty, which I love. Like, I love a heist read, especially in summertime. There is so much swearing, like so much swearing. And a lot of it is in Spanish. So that just gave me all the LOLs because it's not often <laughs> that I get to hear like someone calling a cat uncle something something um, that I don't know if I can say. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> it's just so much fun. There is a sequel to it. It is also fantastic. And I, too, usually like to keep it to like, you know, a book that's maybe standalone. So I don't feel like uh, that strange sense of commitment <laughs> that i often have with yeah. series but it's so fun it's worth it you could just read the first one and, and technically i think be some level of satisfied because it is so fun and rumpy so yeah cubans cats space cats that are psychic and all the hijinks in a really fun heisty read that's very very summer to me in all the great ways so again that is it, chilling effect it by valerie valdes
1: it absolutely is it it's is so such fun. a Fun, fun read. I love all the pop culture references. All of I love them. Everything about it. Oh, she's so, so good. Well, I've got another fun one here, and it is Undead Girl Gang by Lily Anderson. This one really brought me back. Like, I used to read a lot of like Fear Street books and stuff when I was in high school, and sometimes I just like miss that vibe, I guess. So Undead Girl Gang is this really fun book that's kind of in the vein of a summer thriller, but also it's lighthearted, if that makes sense. And I think like summer is just the season for going rogue, and the girls in this book definitely do that. So this is definitely a... Uh, One of those kind of nostalgic feeling teen reads that'll take you back, uh, especially if you were like an outcast and you were into the occult like yours truly. And it's a YA fantasy slash mystery. So it's got both of those elements. And it follows uh, Mila, who's a super sarcastic, super angsty teen, who also happens to be Wiccan. And I do want to say that this has a trigger warning for mention of suicide, and Mila is actually miserable because her best friend Riley is dead, and every everyone in town thinks that Riley died by suicide. But that is not matching up for Mila. She does not think that that story really reflects who Riley was, and that was her best friend. So. She knows her above everybody else. So she can't believe it. And so what better source to t- to turn to when you need answers than an off-limits occult book? And this is one of those books I always wished I would, like, happen upon. Although after reading this book, I was like, maybe it was for the best that <laughs> I didn't. <Perhaps>. Because <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> maybe don't try to uh, wake the dead. But Mila ends up taking her questions to the graveyard and she does end up with a bunch of reanimated dead girls because it wasn't only Riley that died under suspicious circumstances. There were also these two mean girls at their high school who also died similarly under suspicious circumstances. So Mila thinks that once she resurrects her friend... She's going to get some answers. But that is not the case because we wouldn't have a whole story if that was the case. Uh, None of the girls remembers anything about their deaths. And so they all have to work together, whether they like it or not, to solve this mystery, the mystery of their death. And Mila is going to have to find some sort of way. To keep everyone in town from figuring out that there are zombies in their midst, which turns out to be just as challenging as solving a mystery. Because, again, these are teenagers. They are not always uh, doing the logical thing. No disrespect to teens out there. But, you know, I was one at one point, And we don't always make the best decisions especially when it concerns ourselves. So, it's just a really like fun running around town trying to solve a mystery, trying to stay out of trouble, but also meddling in the occult sort of book. And I love it so much. I love the character of Mila. I'm a big Daria fan and she gives me a lot of Daria feels. So, if that's your sort of thing as well, you should definitely check out Undead Girl Gang. Again, that's by Lily Anderson.
0: That's another one you're going to have to throw on the, the borrow stack.
1: <laughs> 100% I'm, I'm going to go right to my shelves after <laughs> this.
0: <laughs> that's, uh, I just realized we have a lot of theme overlap. In, like the, I know. Yeah, a lot. Like I'm looking at this list like, oh yeah, like <laughs> space opera, <laughs> check. Designer drugs, check. Um, bringing yeah. people back from the dead, check. Yeah, there's a lot. Uh things that we have in common here okay so i love my next pick so much it's my second of the fantasy picks i've read it twice now and it just came out because i wanted to do it in print and in audio <laughs> and that is master of Jin* by p jelly clark who we just talked about for you know ring shout we were going over some sff awards if you yeah. haven't read p jelly clark so this book is actually part of the dead Jin universe that is so far comprised of two other novellas that take place in the same world with some of the same characters. And those are really, really quick short reads that you could... I think the audio on each of those is like an hour and a half or something, or you could just read them. They're very short. And you don't have to have read them to read this book. It does help with some of the character background, but they also kind of catch you up in the book, I think, pretty quickly. And so in this world, the... Oh, it's just like, where do I start? So... The main character of these is a like a, a detective. She's the only woman detective. Her name is Fatma el sharawi And she is mm-hmm. the youngest and only woman detective in the... And I can't remember the name of the organization, but it's like something about alchemy and enchantments. And so in this version of 1912 Cairo, which this book is an alternative steampunk version of 1912 Cairo... The line, like the veil that separates magic from the non-magic world, has like a, a hole was drilled into it. So now magic and machinery and the real world all like mix together. The reason for that is that decades earlier it was said that this Sudanese mystic and inventor named Al-Jahiz shook the world when he drilled that hole between that veil and created this like big mix. It's you know he immediately disappeared after he did that so it's said that he still roams like the magical and non magical realms kind of wreaking havoc and chaos in his wake and everyone's sort of waiting for his you know second coming sort of thing, like official second coming uh, again because the world is now magical beings like angels and jinn exist alongside humans and there is there i mean there's beings of like smokeless fire and animal it's just mm-hmm. so it's just such a richly beautifully built world that is like you'll just sink into it super super quickly so in this latest one um master or um ooh yeah in the latest book which is it's the first standalone in case that didn't um, come in it's like, the first full length oh, novel oh yeah yeah so if you that that's a, what makes it separate from those novellas but fatima is this you know agent and she's trying to investigate this new like, so she, how do I like describe this? Like, I love this book so much. She basically has to investigate a suspicious murder of a brotherhood that's dedicated to, to that Sudanese mystic, to Al Jahiz, because a, this brotherhood just was killed, like all of them, in a very suspicious manner where, like, they appear to be burned, but their clothing went untouched. So, like, clearly that's not a natural thing that's, you know, supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. And the person who claims responsibility is claiming to be al-Jahiz returned to condemn, like, the modern age and the threat it poses. So she and her partner, who she doesn't, like, is a partner she didn't, and by partner I mean in the actual organization, like she, the detective that works with her, she didn't really want or ask for this partner, so there's some bristliness there. And uh, a friend, let's just call them from a previous book, possibly a love interest, set out to oh. kind of solve the case and then cover the truth of like what, is be- or, what or who are, is behind this self-professed prophet. So again, it's a very magical, steampunky book. They have these boilerplate eunuchs that are like robots that come and do all the little teeny day-to-day bidding. And then there's these Jin who are, you know, these big, larger-than-life characters. These angels who are not the kind of angels we're thinking of. They re- they are up to no good. So all of these worldly details are just so much fun. And then Fatma herself is just the most fun to root for. She is very much asserting herself, you know, in this world. She is the youngest woman working for the Ministry of, I just remembered it, Alchemy Enchantments and Supernatural Entities. She wears, Uh like, pinstripe suits all the time and, like, I think a fedora or, like, something similar. Her hair is cut short. So she just makes all kinds of splashes in a million ways for daring to be, like, a modern woman who doesn't wear a head covering. Uh, I think it's a belief she doesn't. So it's just so much fun. Like the mystery itself is pretty, it's a huge commentary on colonialism and yeah. all the things it has done to two countries such as Egypt and others. And you know what it means when those countries try to go like, nah, get out the way we'd like to moderate modernize for ourselves. I, I devoured this book. It's so good on audio and again, if you have the time, you can go back and read the two novellas. It will help some things make sense. But you don't technically have to. You can just read it as its own, you know, full thing. So, oh, so much fun. It's a really a, a treat for summer. And that is Master of Jin by P. Jelly Clark.
1: I just read a dead Jin in Cairo because I as my sort of jumping off point yeah. to the bigger novel. So I'm I was so excited when you were talking about it. It's so good. Well, my last pick is Space Opera by Catherine M. Valente because obviously, as Vanessa said, our lists have so much overlap.
0: <laughs> are there cats?
1: <laughs> there... I I wish I could remember some cats. I bet there are. But this is definitely another bonkers book. This is another escape from reality. um, And... It is just a overall romp of a read. So this is, if you've read Catherine M. Valente, you might already know what kind of weird this book is going to be. But this is just a glammy, adventuresome, super out there space opera, as you might have guessed from the title. And I, I know like... Ugh, The style is kind of in the vein of Douglas Adams. I didn't want to be like, this is like Douglas Adams, because I know people say that about this book. Um, It is in the vein of Douglas Adams. It has that feel, especially because it's set in space. People think of, you know, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. But I would just say it's got that absurdist edge, and it's as weird a story as you might expect from Valente. So... The gist of it is that there's this intergalactic talent competition in space and Earth is only just learning about it. We are late to the party and the planet is thrown into this competition and we're represented by one Danesh Jones, who's the lead singer of Decibel Jones and the Absolute Zeros. So when you think of this band like... Of course, I like immediately think of Freddie Mercury, and I also think in terms of like glamminess, like David Bowie and Roxy Music, and a lot of other sort of glam, classic rock types. So we're meeting Decibel post-rock life, post-success. So much has changed. And the band members are all kind of dispersed. They're doing their own thing. But then when the aliens arrive to enforce mandatory participation in this intergalactic competition, the band's got to pull it together to save themselves and basically all of humankind. Which I would be a little bit nervous having seen this crew in their current timeline. <laughs> um, It's it's not a great, it's not a great uh, scenario. So I do want to say that this book is probably not for everybody. This is maybe the one title that I wouldn't recommend to everybody, but it has that almost stream of consciousness narrative style. It's all over the place. It is chaos and hilarity and irreverence, which I really love but i would say if you are a reader who loves structure for instance beware i i think i would describe this as sort of a glitter baby of a book it's just all over the place but it's very like sparkly <laughs> and fun and weird and there are lots of like chapter long asides about the history of this competition, the Metagalactic Grand Prix, and of the truly out there species and planets that participate. There's a lot of like going back and forth in time between the present and the past. There's, sab- there's sabotage. There's uh, some paranormal sexy times. There's a lot of commentary by the narrator and just so much going on in general. But I would say that if you are into absurdity and chaos and music, particularly glam rock and its sort of golden era, then you should definitely check out Space Opera. Again, that's by Catherine Valente.
0: For reasons that make absolutely no sense, this entire time you've been talking, I've had the theme from... (laughs) Goofy movie in my head, like that big what? music number they do that just feels very spacey to me. Like <laughs> have we look into Yeah, like that's a little segue you didn't know you needed. <laughs> I'd literally been thinking it this whole time. Sharita deals great. with me and my musical segues. All the time and has not yet stopped talking to me. <laughs> but when of these I have these not days. seen that
1: movie. So I am truly glad it's not going to be stuck in my head all oh, day like the project. other project. So, yeah. <laughs> so funny. Oh, goodness.
0: <laughs> anyway, I, I will take us to another book that I also find absurd in the best possible way. And that is The Tea Master and the Detective by Aliette de Baudard. Mm. If you've ever... So I love a lot of oldie mystery books. Like, I'm a huge, cozy mystery person. I love Agatha Christie. I love uh, Arthur Conan Doyle. It's my jam. I will look for any and all retellings of Sherlock. Huge fan. But, you know, same. Yes. Like, for the longest time, that stuff was just, like, hella white and didn't have a lot of diversity to it. And then... Aliette de Baudard took this concept and was like, ah, I got something for you because Watson is a talking ship (laughs) in space. (laughs) So this is a novella. It takes place in the scattered Pearl's belt, which is a group of habitats and orbitals that are full of exiled humans. And it's ruled by some pretty powerful families. And these... Ships, these living midships exist alongside humans, and they again are like sentient, so they ferry folks from one place to another between you know stars and space. The world is filled by humans and avatars and sort of holographic representations of those mind ships because, again, the ships are real and alive. One of these ships is called the Shadow's Mind, and it was discharged from military service after sustaining like an injury in this expedition into like deep space that went horribly wrong. And now the shadow's mind makes a living brewing a designer drug (laughs) called Serenity, which is a drug that helps people cope with like the stresses of deep space travel, which, you know, obviously is supposed to be like uncomfortable for humans because it's not really meant for us. Wish some people knew that recently. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Anyway, um, so (laughs) shadow's mind kind of be broke from doing this. It's not like a super money making endeavor. And then in walks in this super rude and kind of bristly scholar named Long Xiao. And Sh- Long Xiao wants to basically find a corpse to use for scientific study and sort of walks in and tells the Shadow's mind that that's exactly like what's going to happen. So, like, fine. Shadow's mind thinks this is going to be like a pretty easy job. Like, okay, you found a corpse, you're going to study it. Like, that's fine. Except that in this examination, they quickly realize that that corpse did not meet its end through natural. Uh, means it was absolutely murdered. And so Long Chao basically drags Shadow's mind into the quest to like figure out what's going on. It's such a quick book like it's like it's a novella like it, it I just blasted through this but it was so much fun like it takes a second in the beginning maybe if you don't know what's going on although now you do because I've told you um what that the shadow's mind is a ship <laughs> you're like wait who who's this person like talking to and then once you wrap your brain around it it is just so smart and inventive and Xiao is very much the like Annoying parts sometimes of Sherlock as he was. You know, I kept thinking of the Benedict Cumberbatch like interpretation. Oh, yeah, totally. In all those ways that you're like, Jesus, you're annoying, but you're like, brilliant. And so it's really fun to watch that. Uh, it's, it's funny, too, in the way like their, their actual banter together is really great. So, yeah, I can't imagine how it is that Aliette de Baudard decided to put this together, but I'm glad, so glad that it exists. It's such a fun read and a quick one, too, if you're looking for something that you can just do in one day while you're out doing summer things. So that's The Tea Master and The Detective by Aliette de Baudard.
1: And that's it for our summer reads. That Yay. was so much fun, as always. Thank you so much, Vanessa, for joining me of today. Course. I can't wait to read all these books. We'll do an exchange.
0: Uh, tell-
1: <laughs> yes, we absolutely should. I-, I promise I am actually going to collect those
0: books. <laughs> I believe you. You're good about that. <laughs> load them on you. <laughs>
1: Well, thank you all for joining us. SFF Yeah! is sound edited by D.R. Baker. Many thanks to them for making us sound great each and every episode, especially when we say the wrong book title. For more recommendations, check out bookriot.com and find our other podcasts at com slash listen. Thank you so much for listening. You can email us as usual at Yeah at bookriot.com. Please re- do review us on Apple Podcasts if you have a minute. Uh, it helps people find us. We love to hear from you. You can also find us online. Where can they find you, Vanessa?
0: I am mostly on the gram at Buenos Dias SD. Uh, Dias is spelled like my last name with a Z.
1: And you can find me on Instagram at S Zainab Williams. That's S Z A I N A B Williams. Until next time.